It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, Gronk here, calling a 30-second hair huddle. When it comes to tackling hair loss, Hims has you covered. From clinically proven regrowth treatments to thickening shampoo and conditioner. Just go to 4 for a free consultation. Then a licensed medical provider can help you with your game plan. If prescribed, Hims ships directly to your door. Get your hair back in the game with Hims. Try today and get a 90-day money-back guarantee at 4 Just go to 4 slash NFL. That's 4 slash NFL. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. Whatever you do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You are locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. You can like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find at Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Help support your local businesses Whether it's your corner store, your coffee spot, or favorite shop, local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa everywhere you want to be official partner of the nfl new intro is really the old intro uh, I, I i didn't want to force it in in situations where there is no iconic call i don't think there is an iconic packers saints call and and i didn't want to force it these teams don't play enough they haven't had a classic playoff battle uh, every time the Packers go to the Superdome, it gets ugly, even with Aaron Rodgers. Even when they've had good teams, this has been a problem. So, you know, someone sent me the the Randall Cobb kick return touchdown, and I watched the highlight, and the Al Michaels call is just okay. I mean, it's not a, it's certainly not an iconic Al Michaels call. So this is going to be the base intro for the show. And then in weeks where it makes sense to have a little bit of spice, we're going to add that spice. Speaking of spice, former University of Wisconsin offensive tackle and Cleveland Brown all-world lineman Joe Thomas joins the show today. Just And just all-world dude. Just a great guy to talk ball with. Uh, we've had him on before, and, and I've talked to him a couple times over the years for stories and other things. Uh, he is always willing to nerd out and talk some ball, and I just thought it was the perfect time this week because the Packers have gone through a lot of offensive line reshufflings. Uh, they're going to go through even more this week. And he's a he's a player. And as a, as a former player, he understands what these guys are going through from a COVID standpoint in terms of how things are different on the field. And, of course, he can't fully understand because he's not there. But I wanted to get his perspective on how it changes their mentality, changes their ability to make calls of the line, all that stuff. So we'll get into all of that with him coming up in just a little bit. Before we do that, I want to address a couple things. First, uh, we did get uh, somewhat of an update on Devontae Adams. It sounds like 
Had the Packers needed him to go back into the game on Sunday, he could have. Matt LaFleur on Monday said Devontae wanted to come back in the game. And and the coaches basically said, look, let's see how this drive goes. Green Bay went out and scored, and, and it was all moot. Hey, Devontae, you can stay on the sidelines. Not a big deal. We still don't have an update on Kenny Clark, uh, but I would expect Billy Turner, uh, if he continues to progress the way that he's been progressing, is going to have a chance to play. Was active on Sunday, but didn't play. Uh, it seems like that was, you know, he was the emergency offensive tackle. Well, if he was, if he was active enough and and ready enough to be the emergency offensive tackle, then you have to believe that with another week, barring a setback, he could be ready to go here for week three against the New Orleans Saints team that lost on Monday night and looked really anemic doing it offensively and defensively. Sloppy turnovers, sloppy penalties. They have not looked sharp the first two weeks of the season. Going into this game through two weeks, the Packers look like the better team. The question is, can we trust what we've seen so far with this Packers team? And a lot of fans are going to point to the opponents. And they're going to say, look, the Lions and the Vikings are bad teams. Well, the Lions were a dropped pass away from being 1-1 and coming into the game. And I know they give up the the crazy fourth quarter to Mitch Trubisky and you go, oh, well, same old Lions. And to a certain degree, yeah. At the same time, this is a Lions team that was playing without Kenny Galladay. This is a team that I think is going to get, get it together a little bit over the course of the year. But more to the point... You, you can only play who you play. You can only play the teams on your schedule. This is not college football where you can go out and schedule better teams. Against bad teams, you want to see a good or great team especially, you want to see them dominate a bad team. You want to see them absolutely be in control. And aside from first drives, the Packers have done that. And, and they've gotten off to a little bit of a slow start offensively in these games, but they find their rhythm. They get off to a little bit of a slow start defensively, but they find their rhythm. They've given up 55 points in two games, okay? But 31 of those 55 points have come in the fourth quarter of blowout games, of three-score games. So more than half of all of the points Green Bay has surrendered in two weeks, have come in the fourth quarter of games that they were in full control of. This is not something to be overly concerned about. They dominated these football games. And that's what you want to see against bad teams. Okay, you play a bad team. So beat the crap out of them. And that's what Green Bay did. It's easy to point to the flaws and say, oh, the drop passes. I would turn it the other way. Matt LaFleur said on Monday that the Packers charted six drops on Sunday for, for Green Bay receivers, another three in week one. So nine drops, and this team still managed 85 points and over 1,000 yards of offense in the first two weeks of the season. I don't care who you're playing. That is great. In fact, it's all-time great to start a season. Historically great. So you can say, oh, the the Vikings and the Lions, they're bad teams. Well, yeah, they're bad teams, and the Packers put 40 on them, put 40 on them, and won by a combined 30 points. So what is the beef here? 
What is the conversation we're having? Yes, they played two bad teams and they lit them up. And not only did they light them up, but they lit them up in multiple different kinds of ways. And that in particular is the impressive part to me. And you you look at the first game. The Vikings say, we want to stop Aaron Jones. They were pretty successful doing that. But in order to do that, they had to load the box. So they load the box. Aaron Rodgers says, bet. He throws for 360 and four touchdowns. Then the next week, the Lions say, we're not going to let Aaron Rodgers beat us. We're going to play lighter boxes. We're going to play lighter personnel. And Aaron Rodgers, you are not going to beat us. Okay, Aaron Jones, bet. He puts up a career high in rushing and is a monster in this game. It doesn't matter what teams you're playing. When you have a receiver match a franchise and and career best in receiving in game one, and you have your quarterback look absolutely dialed in, and then in week two, you have your running back go out and set a personal best in productivity, you know you have a team that is capable of being great. The fact that they have drops and they have some lapses early in games, they're not coming out with the same kind of intensity that they play the rest of the game with, and then maybe in the fourth quarter, especially in week one, that intensity waned a little bit. It didn't wane in week two. In fact, the Packers outscored the Lions in the fourth quarter in week two, eight to seven. Plus, when you look around the league right now, the teams in the NFC who are supposed to be the contenders, the 49ers and the Saints, well, half the 49ers are hurt. They've got half a dozen guys on IR just at, just on offense. And the, the Saints on Monday looked thoroughly mediocre, like aggressively mediocre. Drew Brees has not played well to start the season. Going back to that playoff game where he couldn't even throw the ball down the field, it just, of course, it's going to set up a week three where they come in and look sharp and and you know beat the Packers and that and that's what every fan is going to say. Of course, I don't know that I believe in that kind of stuff, but it it certainly does set up a situation where they're going to come in a little bit more pissed off than they would have otherwise. The Saints will, and this is a team with heart and pride and veteran leadership and and great coaching. They're absolutely going to be ready for this game. The question is. Are they capable of getting to that point? And, and we have all week to talk about that. Um, you know, we, we have Lily Zhao tomorrow and Ross Jackson on Thursday. So we'll get to a lot of that to break down this matchup. It is the marquee matchup of the weekend. Ravens Chiefs on Monday. It's about as good a slate as you could ask for. I mean, I think you could you could make the case this is an NFC Championship preview and an AFC Championship preview. Um, although, you know, like I said, the Saints do not look like the, the best or even second best team in the NFC. Right now, the two best teams in the NFC, by what we've seen from two weeks, are the Packers and the Seahawks. Those are the two best teams. And and frankly, the two best teams with a bullet. I mean, you could add the Rams. The Rams have looked good. Uh, they, they didn't look as good in week one as they did in week two. But the Eagles might be garbage. And, and you can add the Cardinals to that list. They beat the 49ers, but the 49ers were banged up. And then in week two, they beat Washington. Washington might be garbage. So you can play this game with any team you want to pick. Oh, they've played some bad teams. Buffalo has played two bad teams. But everyone's like, oh, Buffalo, Super Bowl contender in the AFC. Oh, Josh Allen. Isn't he great? Stephon Diggs, all this. But they played the Jets and the Dolphins. So what are we talking about? 
Uh, it's just, uh, you, you can only play who's on your schedule, so we have to judge you based on that. So it's not like the Packers have gone out and dominated teams that we thought were contenders. At least, you know, maybe we thought Minnesota was a contender after two weeks. It looks like they're not. And I don't know what's going to change. Courtney Cronin wrote a piece for ESPN that was basically like, is it is it over? Do we already know what this team is and therefore, you know, can write them off for the season? I don't know if that's the case, but Kirk Cousins, he's going to have these wild swings and they just don't have the talent around him to make up for it anymore. I would be concerned if I'm Minnesota. And, and maybe if you're Green Bay, you're relishing this opportunity to say, hey, yeah, this is real. This is real. Because we get to go down to New Orleans, no crowd noise in the Superdome against a reeling team, a team that has not played well, has not looked sharp, sloppy penalties, the most penalized team in the league, and say, look, everyone's saying we played some crap teams. We're not as good as as maybe our record says. We're used to that. Everyone says we were the worst 13-3 and team ever. Maybe we're the worst 2-0 and team ever. Okay. Here's the opportunity to avoid the 49ers situation from last year. Go in and beat the Saints, and no one can say a word. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. We all need to get our car fixed from time to time. Things break down, and, and right now, you might not be driving your car as often as you would because you might not be commuting, things of that nature. You might have a battery issue. You might have forgotten, oh, I need windshield wiper fluid. Oh, uh, I have an issue. I, I need new windshield wipers. They're not doing great as the cold weather and the snow approaches. RockAuto.com can help you out. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And the thing about Rock Auto that separates them from the big box stores is they don't care if you are the average Joe or a, a professional mechanic or whoever you are, they don't care. They want everyone to get the same low prices, so that's exactly what they do. Their website is easy to navigate. Just go on rockauto.com, look for the parts that you need, and you will get the same low rate as everyone else. Right now, go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store all right let's get to joe thomas he is a former brookfield native i, I once saw him play basketball in person against my high school team he's uh, a little bit older than me, but I won't, I won't, you know, I won't date him. I won't say how much older he's a 10 time pro bowler, an eight time all pro 
one of the great offensive linemen of his generation, Joe Thomas. Joe, thanks for coming back on Locked on Packers. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. I want to start with with this. It's sort of a broader look at at, at what's going on here with the COVID nineteen season. You don't have fans most places. Where you do have fans, it's a significant reduction in fans. How does that change at the offensive line? Because you know you can hear all of these quarterbacks are barking out signals. You hear all the check with me's uh, offensive lines. And we saw in Seattle, the, the Patriots were able to, to get to the line and, and do all kinds of things that they wouldn't normally be able to do. How does it change being able to play in that environment along the offensive line? Well, it kind of removes the old high school kids game of telephone that you're usually playing when you're on the <laughs> offensive line, especially in those loud stadiums, because the quarterback, a lot of times he's making a check and he's giving it to the center and then it's the center's job the pass to the guard and then the guard goes to the tackle and the tackle goes to the tight end. And, you know, a lot of times it works well, but there's plenty of times where it is like a game of telephone because things get a little bit confused and the wires get crossed as the communication is moving its way down the line of scrimmage. So to kind of be able to eliminate that and have the quarterback talk directly to the tackle and the guard and the center and the tight ends and everybody, um, that's a huge benefit for the offense it just makes things go a lot faster. And anytime you have a communication, that's a one-to-one person communication, it's going to be a lot more accurate. And uh, you're not going to get those wires crossed like you do normally when you're playing on the road and you could barely hear the guy next to you. So I think early on in the season, it's going to be a big advantage for the offenses. But the interesting thing will be to listen if those defensive linemen start picking up on the different calls and the check with me mm-hmm. Because you're just sitting at the line of scrimmage, and no offense to defensive linemen, but usually you're on the defensive line if you're not smart enough to play on the offensive line. So those guys usually don't have a whole lot to think about when they're sitting at the line of scrimmage. It's either go left or go right and find the ball. But now when they're just sitting there listening, they're they're absorbing all that information from the line and from the quarterback, things that they're normally not able to hear. And, you know, by the second half of the game and certainly later on in the season, if you're using the same calls and the same checks, and the same code words for snap counts, those guys are going to pick up on it. And there's going to be some gamesmanship where you're going to hear offensive lines starting to do dummy calls, dummy snap counts to try to use that to their advantage that you are playing in a lot of these empty stadiums. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers was asked, uh, I can't remember if it was after the Vikings game or the Lions game, he was asked, hey, what was that signal you gave Devontae on that play? And, And he laughed and he said, that was a dummy call. So it's just it's one of those things that that they're always trying to to figure out, even when there is crowd noise. I I, I want to talk to you a little bit because the the Packers in Week One were able to against loaded boxes get Aaron Rodgers and this offensive uh, passing game in gear, and then in Week Two against the the smallest boxes that Aaron Jones has ever faced, statistically speaking, uh, they were able to get the run game going. I know that that you know you you do dig into the analytics and you like the probability stuff, but as an offensive lineman, we hear you know this idea that offensive linemen you you, you want to give them enough opportunities to get going forward. Do you, do you where do you come, fall in on the uh, you know run to set up the play action and and the power of of the run game uh, wearing defenses down over time? Well, I played in the same system that Matt LaFleur uh, mm-hmm. has in Green Bay when Kyle Shanahan was in Cleveland in 2014, actually our 
one of our run game coordinators was Mike LaFleur, who now is in San Francisco running yep. uh, the offense over there, and he's, he's Matt's brother. Um, and so I love that offense. That was my favorite offense that we ever played in because of how the run and the pass meshed together, and it mm-hmm. put defenses in conflict a lot of times because the beginning of a play-action pass looks exactly the same as a wide zone, outside zone run, and that's why it's so difficult for defenses, especially safeties and linebackers, because they have run-gap responsibility uh, in the run game where they have to fill into the line of scrimmage, rush up, and make a tackle if the ball gets into their gap. But they also have pass coverage responsibilities. It's not like a defensive lineman where you can play your gap, and if it's a pass, you just keep going. For those guys in the secondary, if it's pass, you got to hit the brakes, start running backwards, and get into your zone or get into your man coverage. And that's why it makes it hard because just one false step for a linebacker towards the line of scrimmage or for a safety towards the line of scrimmage, when it looks exactly like a run, all of a mm-hmm. sudden creates this huge amount of separation between your second and third levels, uh, first and second levels, which are defensive line, linebacker, linebacker safeties. And that's the spacing that this offense creates and that quarterbacks are able to take huge advantage of. And that's why you see the offenses that run this scheme having huge days in the passing game where they're getting huge chunk plays a lot of times where guys are just running Scott-ass free through the secondary because they're running play action. They get the linebackers and the safeties to suck up, and the cornerbacks are sort of stuck because they're still playing high. But there's this huge amount of space for crossing routes, for takeoffs, for different intermediate routes where you've got receivers running across the field getting four or five seconds before they're getting the football, and they're able to catch it in stride and score 40, 50-yard touchdowns. So it's a fun offense to play in because you get these defensive linemen, these linebackers, their heads are just spinning, and they don't know if it's run or pass. They're going to the sideline. They're getting yelled at for not coming down the line of scrimmage and filling in the run game. And then as soon as they run down and fill in the run game, that's when you hit them with those pop passes over their heads in the the play-action game. So – it, it is a great scheme. It is one of the few schemes that I don't care if there's eight men in the box or there are six or five men in the box because when you're adding tight ends to the run game and you're getting guys to run sideways, the running backs are always able to find seams. It's not like mm-hmm. the old school power plays or inside zones where you're not getting guys to move very much. The box is loaded. There's so many bodies in there. There's not a lot of space to run in. Some of our most successful running schemes when we had two tight ends in the game or even a tight end and a fullback or two tight ends and a fullback, we were in big people and they had eight or nine guys in the box. But you get everybody running and all of a sudden one person gets cut or falls down on the backside and it's like you cut the defense and everybody else is running on a train track and then there's a bunch of carcasses laying on top of each other. The line opens up like the Red Sea and those backs they get really good at putting their outside foot in the ground and cutting up and running daylight, and it's a beautiful thing. Well, and when you have a, a scheme that takes advantage of, of those defensive line, linemen who, as as you pointed out, not very smart, those defensive linemen. So <laughs> it gives <laughs> well, yeah. you an opportunity. <laughs> um, one of the things that, that we saw on Sunday – um, you know, Aaron Jones was able to to get outside and inside. Jamal Williams able to create those opportunities. When when you have an offense that you know in week one, as I said, a lot of loaded boxes. Aaron Rodgers did his thing, and then all of a sudden now now we're scared of what Aaron's going to do. You got to play more two shell. You got to play a little bit smaller. Now you go to the run game. 
I mean, when when you're an offense that plays like that, you're the Chiefs, you're the Ravens. When you get in and out of the huddle, I mean, it, it has to give you a little bit extra pep in your step to say, hey, I don't think these guys can stop us no matter what they do. Yeah, it's a fun feeling. Like we, 2014, like I said, when Kyle was our coordinator, we had a lot of those fun games where you're rushing for 180, 200 yards, you're going five, six yards at a clip, and the defense literally has no idea where the ball is the entire game because <laughs> we always wanted to shock them with speed. We wanted to get out there and win the snap count where we were getting our feet in the ground before the defensive linemen were. We were running at full speed to the sideline. And when you do that, the defensive linemen are so worried about holding their gap that they're literally just turning and running, and the only thing that they can see is that space between the two offensive linemen that they're supposed to be occupying. And a lot of times, the ball runs right off their butt, and they don't even see the ball carrier because they're running so fast and trying so hard to maintain their gap that they can't even get their eyes excuse me, into the backfield to find the football. Um, and it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. They're getting tired. They don't even know where the ball is. Well, when you have backs with the explosiveness like Aaron Jones or like Raheem Mostert in, in San Francisco, you know, those guys really are just by you and, and there's not really anything you can do. I, I, I want to ask you about the, the play of a couple guys for the Packers because Elton Jenkins played guard last year, played guard at a high level, but in college played guard, played center, played a little bit of tackle. Week one... Green Bay has Billy Turner go out with injury. Rick Wagner's not 100%. And in week one, his first NFL snaps at tackle, Elton Jenkins goes out there, handles Yannick Ngakwe, and, and looks really solid at right tackle. I think to the, to the casual fan, you say, oh, well, if he's a really good player at guard, he can be a really good player at tackle. But th- that transition is, is not an easy thing. And he went from guard to tackle for that game and then back to guard in the middle of the game. Well, that is extremely impressive. Um, going from guard to center is not a huge transition because those are kind of phone booth positions. Right. You know, you've got players on both sides of you 100% of the time, and you really just got to own your little one-yard box. And so your movement is more short area quickness than long movement like a tackle. When you're a tackle and you've got space, especially when you're not, you don't have a tight end next to you, that defensive end can go as wide as he wants. And so you have to get off the ball and get as much depth and as much width as he does. So a lot of times you're playing more basketball out at that position than you are when you're at guard. So to kind of flip the mentality of, oh, all I have to do is win this one-yard box to all of a sudden I've got to kick backwards nine yards to meet this pass rusher in the backfield so he doesn't take Aaron Rodgers' head off, that's a lot of pressure for anybody, much less somebody that's just moved over from the guard position. Um, because it is so different, because of how quickly you do have to move to be able to keep up with these much smaller pass rushers in much larger areas, much greater amounts of space. So um, this is really impressive to see what he's been able to do already, uh, being that he has a little bit of experience at tackle, but uh, it's not like he's really put in a lot of work or a lot of practice time to be able to make that transition. When I was playing, we had uh, our emergency tackle was our guard, John Greco. And we used to laugh because they would always put him out there in preseason and try to give him some reps at tackle. Uh, at the time, Mitchell Schwartz and myself were the tackles, and we'd played like four years in a row without missing a snap. So luckily, he never had to come in and give us relief. But 
man, we had a lot of good laughs in those meetings, watching those preseason games, watching him try to take his, tack- his tackle kicks. Because we said he looked like Frankenstein. He was moving so slow. <laughs> it felt like my daughter could walk faster than he was kicking backwards. But it is not an easy task for a tackle to move out or a guard to move out there to tackle. Yeah. I, I, and, and I don't know about you, but when I see John Runyon Jr.'s name out there, I think you were John Runyon was still John Runyon Sr. was still in the league when you came into the league, right? Yeah, right at the end of his career was I think my rookie year so I remember him playing for the Eagles and I think he played like 13 years without missing a start he was an incredibly durable and incredibly tough and more than anything incredibly dirty which is funny that he's now in charge of uh, meeting out the fines for player uh, conduct on the field it's kind of ironic (laughs) somehow that is uh, that is always how it, it works out uh, what what has been your impression generally of of the the play here? Because it seems like the offenses are way ahead of the defenses, and I guess I'm I'm not really sure why that would be. I would have thought that the timing and the rhythm and everything of offense would would take more, and yet a lot of these teams have come out absolutely dealing early. I really can't put my finger on it, but I totally agree with you. That's been my biggest surprise thus far in the season. That- a hundred percent of the time in my 11 years in the NFL, the first three or four weeks in camp, the defense and let the guys get to a gap and go find the football or, all right, this is the blitz. This is the twist. You figure that out in five seconds and then you go get the football. It's pretty much the same stuff over and over again, but offensive football is so much more about timing and fit. Um, and a lot of the plays, they don't always carry over and they're different depending on the front and the coverage and the defense you're playing every single week. So the fact that offenses have looked as sharp as they have has been a huge shock to me. And the only thing I could think of why that's happening is potentially defenses are vanilla since they don't have any film from preseason. And so they're trying to keep everything a little bit more conservative early on in the season until they see kind of the new wrinkles that these offenses are throwing out there. Um, And when you get a conservative defense and you know that's what you're getting from an offensive standpoint – you can kind of take advantage of them, especially the offenses that have been together a while. I mean, if they're getting basic stuff, they can really eat you up. And if they've got players at skill positions that have played together for a couple of years, the timing's still there. And it doesn't take too long to kind of pick up where you left off. But it'll be interesting to keep watching that. If defense is kind of morph a little bit and it flips and it's a little bit more balanced or if this is the year of the offense for whatever reason. Yeah, and I'm sure the NFL is not mad that there have been a lot of points early because I, I don't know about you. I was prepared for some ugly football early, and we just haven't seen it. It really has been incredible. Uh, Joe, I know you have a, a podcast, um, and, and, and there's a lot of stuff that you're doing. Let my listeners know where they can find all of the stuff that, that you put out there. Yeah, check me out on Twitter, at JoeThomas73. You can check me out on Thursday Night Football, the pregame, postgame, and halftime with Steve Smith, Michael Irvin, and Colleen Wolf. Um, and then I've got my podcast, The Tomahawk Show, which we're looking to get back together and start recording again for 2020 at uh, any week now. So hope you guys check me out and would love to come back on Lockdown Packers, man. Hell yeah. We'll make it happen, Joe. I appreciate you, man. Yep. Thanks again. Have a great night, Peter. All right. I want to thank Joe again for coming on the show. Before we finish up, I want to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Done. That's it. That's all you need to know. No, we have, we have more. 
And that's because Built Bar has more. Six new flavors to go with what was already a loaded lineup. Add caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake to German chocolate, peanut butter, salted caramel, double chocolate, peanut butter, brownie. We're talking about bars covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, not like all of the grainy, gritty, granulary, gross things that you can get out there now. And the best part, low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, exactly what you want to put in your body. It tastes delicious and won't make you feel guilty. It's all the food that you crave, that that chocolatey, wonderful sweetness without the calories and the sugar. Right now, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next purchase. You can even get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off at BuiltBar.com. You're worried about the Packers injury report. I get it. But what happens when you wind up on the injury report? The Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network is transforming the way healthcare is delivered to make it easier for you to connect with the best of academic medicine when and where you need it. But what exactly is academic medicine anyway? First, it's rare. There are only 120 academic medical centers in the country. The Freighter and MCW Network is one of only two in the state and the only one in eastern Wisconsin. Academic medicine makes possible leading-edge primary and specialty care, research to find innovative cures for complex diseases, and the education of the next generation of healthcare professionals. It's like having a two-time MVP quarterback under center. You know you're in good hands, and you might just see things you never thought possible. Freighter and MCW physicians have been part of many scientific discoveries of new ways to prevent and treat diseases. Still wondering what academic medicine offers you? Visit www.freighter.com academic. The Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network. This is what is possible. I do just want to point something out, and, and this will be sort of the aperitif, the appetizer to our Saints-Packers discussion. But we've talked on this show, and, and I've written in columns about how the Saints- particularly Drew Brees and Sean Payton, have skated on a lot of the criticisms that have dogged Aaron Rodgers, that dogged Mike McCarthy, and this team. Let's move beyond that for a moment because Mike McCarthy's not here. Let's focus on this season. The Packers went out and drafted a backup quarterback, a backup running back, and a starting H-back. We can even be maximally generous to the critics and say, a backup tight end, okay? The Saints, in their all-in offseason, drafted an interior offensive lineman who has yet to start a game. They drafted a developmental tight end who has been a non-factor and an outside linebacker who didn't play in week one. And, uh, you know, of course, all of these guys are going to have a chance down the line to make an impact, but... None of them were even drafted really to have a significant role except for Cesar Ruiz. He hasn't yet done that. And still, he's an interior offensive lineman. So in some ways, it's like, who cares? Who cares? He's an interior offensive lineman. And the money that they spent on Emmanuel Sanders so far does not look well spent. I didn't think Emmanuel Sanders was worth the, the, the draft capital the 49ers gave up to get him last year. And then the the Saints gave him a bunch of money. It seemed like a perfect fit. He's been a non-factor in this offense. 
So who had the better offseason? Because the Packers trusted in internal development. They trusted their guys. And as I said with Rashawn Gary, you draft for year two, year three, and year four. So all of the criticism for one team's offseason, oh, this team's going all in. They're ready to compete now. Well, the other team, the team that everyone said had the trash offseason and that was throwing away Rodgers prime and that was building this run-heavy team is looking at the best offensive football and one of the best teams in football, a team that comes out of the gate red hot. Red hot. White hot, even. I just think it's interesting how the narratives are different. And you know what? We don't have to worry at all about the narratives if the Packers go in and play like they've been playing. Because if they go in and they play like they've been playing, and the Saints play like they've been playing, there'll be no more questions. There'll be no more questions because Green Bay will win by 10 or 14. And I'll just get to sit on this show and say, look, people thought that this was great, and it wasn't. People thought the Packers would be mediocre, and guess what? They're really good. So we're going to get some answers here coming up in week three. And, of course, it will not be the story of the season. It will just be another game in week three. The Packers have plenty more opportunities against really good teams. They have a difficult schedule this year. So they're going to have plenty of these games, plenty of the prove-it games, plenty of opportunities to say, look, we are the best team in the NFC. So get excited for all of that. Remember, follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit me up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay 